0: Vodka. Vodka, 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love, or on Twitter, at Elizabeth Amber, and you can support the show and the website by going to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. It's real simple to do, and you just sponsor me per month. If you have any questions, just you know, shoot me a tweet or a comment or an email. So, joining me today is my old friend Steve Bryant, and we're going to talk about his great new project with my other friend, Mark Stegbauer. Steve, hey! Hey, how are you? I'm good. So, this is going to be a super fun conversation because we're talking about like Scooby Doo paranormal (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Um, Now, I know that when I did some research on your project, Ghoul Scouts, coming out from Action Lab, one of my favorite publishers, they're awesome that uh, that Ghoul Scouts was, like, years and years in the making. So, hey, why does it take so long to make comics?
1: Oh, I'm sure this is not going to come as any surprise to you, but finding the, the right artist for a book. Um, you know, comics are a mis- uh, visual medium, or a visual medium, apparently. I'm talking too fast. No, um, <laughs> comics are a visual medium, and uh, even though I write and draw other stuff, Um, or sometimes just draw stuff for other people. Um, When Google Scouts first started to develop, um, I I was just not the right guy to draw it. Um, I wanted it to have kind of a Ben Ben 10 type of sensibility and to have just a very clean, all-ages type of style. And it was nearly impossible to find somebody that that worked for. Um, And then uh, I saw... Uh, Mark Stegbauer's. Um, how many times can I say um? By the way, it's a drinking game. It, it is. Uh, it's
0: fun. I got my Cosmo ready. <laughs> oh, good.
1: Uh, but I, I saw Mark Stegbauer's Doctor Doctor Goyle, which uh, he writes and draws, and um,
0: yes, funded through Kickstarter. So thank you for the sponsors.
1: Yes, and uh, y- like Mark is known well, like on Twitter, he's Inker Mark. Um, and he's he's a terrific inker, but I, I just don't think he gets enough credit for being such a well-rounded cartoonist and storyteller. And yeah,
0: I, I kind of always try to, you know, admire that aspect, too, even though, I mean, because it's one that you can't be a good inker unless you are a good artist.
1: Right, exactly. And he just has such a fun um, – style it it had the right amount of detail he can he can do spooky which to me is very important the tone of the book is spooky it's not scary it's not terrifying it's not horror um you know your your scooby-doo comparison was was pretty spot on i think it's it's an all-ages type of book um you know unlike the the traditional scooby-doo stuff you know the monsters are real but and, and there's some danger to the kids, but overall, the tone should be, um, you know, goosebumps level to where you could give it to a seven-year-old and they're not going to be freaked out by it. By the same token, you know, we try to put some some layers on there to where if you're 13 or whatever, or an adult, hopefully there there's some fun in there.
0: Well, I absolutely noticed some of the like, pop culture Easter egg references so that the older crowd, like me, you know, picked those up. It might not be something that a six- or seven-year-old's going to notice, but, um, there's definitely some stuff in there for us old folks.
1: <laughs> well, we tried, um, and, like, with, with some of the back matter, uh, Chris, Chris Murren, who edits the book, like, uh, in issue four, we've got a bunch of, uh, like official handbook of the Marvel Universe type of stat pages for each of the kids. And Mark wrote some great backgrounds for him. Uh, we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. He, he did just- Mark, Chris wrote some great backgrounds. Sorry. Um, not enough caffeine today. But, yeah, I, I was really happy with that. Sorry, I'm all, I'm all over the place. Why don't you talk a little?
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let me just, I'll try to read and probably mispronounce the entire art team. So it's Steve Bryant, which I have right here as the writer and letterer, um, Mark Stagbauer as the artist, and also Double Duty as the inker, and Jason Millett, who did colors, Drew Brown, who, by the way, was the color flatting assistant, and Chris Morin, as uh, Steve said, is the editor. So one of the things that I wanted to address was that you did credit your color flatter. This is a brand new thing that I've only just started noticing in say the last like nine months of comics. So Drew Brown, kudos. Yes, you're getting credit. So how did that happen? Was that your thing that you said he needs to be in there? Or was that Jason's, uh, you know, insistence as the color colorist that, uh, that his assistant got put in there?
1: Um, Drew, Drew's an old friend of mine and I was originally going to flat it myself. Uh, but I didn't have the time, and so he, he kindly stepped in, so that was great, and I wanted to give him a credit for it, and uh, uh, Jason had no problem with it. Oh, Jason Malay, by the way. Malay, yes.
0: awesome. See, I knew I'd mispronounce somebody. No, I no, got marked right. You got everybody
1: right, uh, except Jason, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, Jason was cool with it. No, nobody minded you know, it it doesn't cost anything to to give credit, and I feel like everybody on this team worked so hard to get it all done. Um, there was a real, you know, esprit de corps kind of vibe to it, to, uh, to getting the book done. So, yeah. So then
0: who, um, is responsible for the cool snazzy, like you mentioned the back matter, and I know that that takes, um, a specific eye to do the graphic layout. It's, you know, it's not the same as the comic page layout. So you've got, first of all, things like the cover and then the inside cover, and then you've got these cool back matter
1: pages. So was that something handled by Mark as the artist or was that by you? Uh, That was handled by Steve, the obsessive control freak. Uh, Awesome. (laughs) So, yeah, I did all the graphic design and production. um, And Chris wrote the, uh, the, like I said, the last issue back matter. And I laid it out. Um, I, I just feel like art is so much heavy lifting in a comic that um, if I'm writing it and because I I have this skill set, I might as well uh, lighten some of the load and I can keep the book moving along that way. So I, I try to pitch in where I can.
0: Okay, and one of the other things that you mentioned was, um, you know, we were talking about Scooby Doo and, and Goosebumps and stuff, that Action Lab has a new rating system. So if you guys are listening go back to my uh, episode last year, which would be 2015, New York Comic Con, at the Action Lab panel, they ran through their brand new rating systems to explain you know, the age groups and the reasons for them because sometimes it's not about just knowing the words but it's about the content inside so ghoul scouts is rated e and there's no pools of blood and there's no girls in their underwear like you know horror movies tend to do right right (laughs) so you know so it's specifically that this is for an all ages kind of thing but it's not their all ages category it's more of like the nine plus
1: yeah, there there are a couple of themes in there that, um, you know, I, I don't think that it's m- maybe a five-year-old, but I don't know. But, you yeah. know, like seven. It's still zombies. It's still, I mean, it's still creepy zombies. Right. So, yeah, like seven to nine, because there there are some uh, instances of peril to the kids, and there is a real threat Um but it doesn't go super dark. But, you know, it, it's enough, hopefully, that, you know, a kid of like nine is going to have a few moments where they're going, oh, my God, what's going to happen? You know, because that's part of the fun of of, the, of that genre, too, when you're when you're that age.
0: And one of the um, the things that really stood out to me um, in well, let me just uh, sort of cover like uh, there there are. Boys uh, and there are girls, and then there's a couple of adults who have significant roles. But um, interestingly, the scoutmaster, who is like a significant person, is not actually there. Um, but his presence is. And but Miss Miss Chung, who hangs out in the library, and uh, you could tell that she's really worried, and that there's something, some connection from her. We do learn about as the story goes on. But it. Um, we meet the cast, we get the first look at zombies in issue one, and then the girls and the boys come together, and they have to decide if they're going to work together as a team or if they're going to split up and see if they can handle things on their own. So um, obviously, if you've seen the covers and the promo images and stuff, you know that the girls and the boys decide to team up. So uh, it's sort of equally matched here, and I know that in the history – this was going to be called like zomboy scouts and it'd be about boys so um you know what was your thinking when you finally said uh the girls are going to play a really significant part and they they're going to get equal
1: credit here um my my initial thought behind it uh my son was in cub scouts and um i had a a back and forth discussion over email with a friend of mine where you know we were catching up over what we had done over the over the weekend and she had played like dead rising and it was a weekend when i didn't have my son so i just drew comics and i made a joke to her that i one day hope to have as well-rounded of a life as she does and uh she went on to say you know i don't know that playing a video game where you're shooting zombies equates to being well-rounded and i said oh it's totally well-rounded it's in my son's cub scout manual you know page 147 zombie killing And, uh, you know, ding, the light bulb goes off. Uh, This would have been like 2007, I guess. And um, yeah, it's so weird because since we came up with the idea for it, we wanted them to to fight other monsters too. But since that idea blossomed, there have been so many things that have like hit kind of around it, but none of them have had the all ages quality that this one does. So hopefully we're, you know, still on, on safe ground. Uh but anyway, uh yeah, the original idea for the book was called Z- uh Zomboy Scouts and uh it was going to have kind of a uh, – I uh I think the original se- uh tagline was like uh Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Red Dawn for the Ben 10 crowd. Uh is how we we encapsulated it. And uh the idea was at the end of volume one, the boys would decide they're going to be patrolling and it would end with a cliffhanger where, you know, after vanquishing the zombies and realizing there are other things that go bump in the night, they're patrolling in like an epilogue and they come across a group of girls that are doing the same thing. And that was going to set up, uh, the second zombies volume to be ghoul scouts, which would be volume two. And, um, when I was working on the pitch after Mark had come aboard, um, uh, I sent uh my notes to Chris Murrin who at ed- like you know we said edited this book. He pretty much edits everything I do. Um and Chris his main sticking point he loved the 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 high concept hated the name. And I said, "Well, I've got this better name, but I'm saving it." And I you know, I I was digging my heels in. I was not going to change the name. I slept on it. And The next day I went, "Well, if you combine it, then you're not doing a book for boys and a book for girls. It's all for one audience. You're not splitting your audience. And Ghoul Scouts is a better name. So, you know, the impetus to change the name and to integrate the cast mostly came because Chris thought Zomboy Scouts was not a, a, a strong name. <laughs> all Thank right, you, Chris.
0: <laughs> we love you for that extra.
1: <laughs> oh, he He saves me from myself on, I think, just about every pitch that I write. He's an incredible collaborator. Absolutely. I agree. We, we get along swimmingly. Oh, that's right. Because, um, he edited the Athena Voltaire prose book that you contributed to. That's finally going to come out in the next year.
0: Yes, finally. I can't wait. I can't wait. I feel like I've been talking about the book forever.
1: Oh, you and me both. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I derailed us again.
0: That's okay. It's good. It's still you. Um, so, The boy characters, um, first of all, we have, like, two main girl characters, Becky and Claudia, and then we have Chase, Trey, Peyton, and Jeff. Now, I know that Jeff was supposed to play a bigger role, and he kind of got, like, knocked to the side a little because he was, like, this big, dumb jock that was really mean and bullying. But um, so Chase is sort of the leader of the boys. But what's interesting is how – it doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best at something. It kind of reminded me of there was a really good Teen Titans cartoon a while ago where Robin was basically the leader of the team, but that didn't mean that he was the most powerful or the smartest or the strongest or anything. But, you know, there was just something about Robin that made him a good team leader. And Chase came through that same way, where it's like, okay, he's definitely not the smartest of this whole group. Um, you know, there's three other people who are really into books, like, um, Becky Trey and Claudia but you know Chase was sort of the leader here and at the same time it was okay for you to show that boys have ranges of emotion that there were times when they're scared you know it was like the Goonies and Stand By Me
1: oh thank you, you for know? pointing those two out because yeah Stand By Me and The Sandlot especially uh were big beginning oh yeah on
0: good yeah I love The Sandlot that was a good one too And, uh, yeah, so I love that, that at first you don't really know, you just kind of feel like, oh, well, these are boys and these are girls and they're going to, you know, have issues together. But then it was like, there was this moment where they're all kind of terrified for a specific reason I'm not going to give away. And they start revealing these secrets about their lives that nobody else might, you know, would know. And it just makes them all so
1: human. I'm I'm glad it came out that way because I didn't want it to be heavy handed, but I wanted them to have kind of a, a truth moment because when you're a kid, um, regardless, you know, every, everything that happens to you, well, everything that happens to you as a human being is the biggest thing in the world. Um, and it seems magnified at pre-adolescence and adolescence. And... uh yeah, I just you know I, I wanted them to have that that moment where they could say life sucks, and then uh, you know one of the kids says, well it doesn't suck that bad, and here's my deal. And so I'm I'm I'm, I'm I hope it didn't come off as preachy. So I'm, I'm glad that you know you felt that it it kind of accomplished what I wanted it to.
0: I hope so. And, you know, it was one of those things where there's so much out there where characters are stuffed into gender roles, and especially because, you know, like I love action movies, and, um, you know, it's there's this almost like a – it's kind of like a bad trope now where a girl in an action adventure is basically just a boy character but drawn sexy. So when it comes to the way that you create – the the characters like they could literally be assigned anything like you know you just make them about personality and thank you uh, yeah it comes it really does you know like shine through and i know that your son is like a huge influence
1: well yeah he's he was uh, is was he's 15 now so i don't know you know uh he was a sensitive kid he's um growing into a, a very uh empathic, uh, adolescent. Uh, I was definitely a sensitive kid. Um, so it's not hard to channel that. I mean, and I, as an adult, the older I get, I choke up at Hallmark commercials at this point. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's there.
0: Right. And I love the sensitivity. There was, um, you know, a moment when Claudia And Chase are talking, and these are probably two people, you know, two kids that if they were in school, they probably wouldn't talk to each other unless they had an assignment together. So there's this moment of them talking, and they're dealing with zombies, and they're dealing with protecting their friends and their group, even though they're, like, practically strangers, some of them. And she's just sitting there, and she's upset because she's like, my biggest problem before today was that I was sad that the boys I like, I'm taller than, and it seems so stupid. So Chase goes through this big speech where he's like, it's not stupid. Like, do you understand? Like, it's your life, and it was something that affected you, and that's okay. And I was like, oh, he made Chase, like, really kind of sensitive and aware. You know, he didn't just tell her, like, you know, shut up. We need to, you know, get our bats (laughs) in our frying pans and, you know, take care of this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, um <laughs> uh the the boys names are Ch- uh well, two of the boys names are Chase and Peyton. Uh my son's name is Chance Peyton Bryant. So, um there there's a lot of him in all the the characters. Uh all five of the kids actually have some element of both him and or me. Uh and yeah, I I just wanted him to Well, I wanted I wanted those two to have that moment where they kind of break through. Um, And like Claudia is in the original pitch, Jeff was going to be not a jerk uh, and he was going to be this big kid that was awkward about having grown so fast. And he's he's the jock, but we were going to make him the sensitive jock. But when we, you know, combine the two groups, it seemed like it might be fun to make the best athlete of the bunch a girl and have her be the tallest of the batch too because you know girls do have that that height spurt younger than boys do and so it it was kind of fun to take some of these these qualities we were going to give a boy character and give it to the girl um because it still fits you know that's just the way kids are
0: but it totally fits i mean it's like every day there's another disaster in our real world. I mean, there's earthquakes too. Now there's, you know, Flint water, there's Newark water and schools being shut down. I mean, there's always a disaster. And I end up personally sometimes feeling like, what the hell's wrong with me? I cannot complain about my life. I have food, I have shelter. (laughs) And You know, it's like it's not the best situation right now, but there are people worse. And someone told me, they're like, you know what? There's always going to be somebody worse. There's always going to be somebody worse off than you. Always. Just like there's always going to be somebody better off than you. Yeah. Well, and so that was something that I just felt in that scene.
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing as, uh, you know, if if you are active with like Animal shelters and animal care somehow there there's like a straw argument against that of well, what about people don't you care about people can't I, oh yeah can't I've... I care about more than one thing um yeah can't the the stuff that i 'm going through in my life resonate just as large to me as a, a horrific tragedy of um some other people half a world away. I can still. Be glad I'm not in their shoes, but also, you know, feel my own emotions for whatever I'm going through.
0: Yeah, I just had, a, uh, you know, a couple of days worth of Internet trolls where that very thing came up and I was like, hey, look, yeah, this is what I'm complaining about today and this is what I'm fighting against today. But you know what? where are you when I'm talking about animal rights and when I'm talking about this and when I'm talking about that, I'm like, every day is a different thing. I don't have to be like a full-time champion. Like, can you get off my case?
1: Right. Uh, And yeah, there's always people that have that emptiness inside where they have to, uh,
0: yeah, they have to come. Yeah. They have to tear others down. Exactly. Um, so it was, yeah, that was a scene and I was like, you know, I mean, Steve's a smart guy. I don't know if this is what he intended, but this is so, like, resonating. <laughs>
1: oh, thank you. That's very, really, really kind. Thank you.
0: And, I, I mean, you know, when I think about kids, like, a friend of mine who lives in, out in Pennsylvania, she's not too far, about two hours away, and their middle school was shut down, almost every day for two straight weeks for bomb threats. Oh, my gosh. At a middle school in the middle of nowhere fuckingville, Pennsylvania. And and it's just like she was losing it. She was, she was like, oh, what am I supposed to do? And then her kids were like, I just want to go to school. <laughs> and it was like the days they're not allowed to go to school, they want to go. And, you know, and it was one of those things where the parents were just like – flabbergasted and questioning and they didn't they just didn't know and uh, you know in comics we're talking about zombies and vampires it's you know it's different but it's about the metaphor and meaning the same thing um so it's like uh, you know these parenting things that you must go through i just
1: can't even imagine it's it's so funny My, my my son is just terrific academically but um you know, shy, sensitive kid. Um, <laughs> I really hope. I, I doubt any of his peers listen, so I think we're okay. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, I never worry about his his academics. You know, I just I, I just want him to to make those those social connections. Um, because so much of that is so stupid when you look back on it. Um, I think that's why there are so many. <laughs> So many wish fulfillment movies done by adults that talk about going back. Um, Mm -hmm. John Hughes. Yeah. Well, and just trying to do it over because as an adult, you can look at it and go, yeah, you know, these five kids were all assholes, but I was kind of an asshole too. And maybe, you know, maybe it was all just bravado because none of us knew what we were doing. And just, you know, putting it in that context – um, I, I could do a lot better. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I, I want to carry that on to him. So in in that sense, having the kids open up in the comic is kind of my wish fulfillment, my do over to be able to to uh, wish that I had the right answer when I was that age or be able to ask for help when I was that age.
0: Oh, I tell you, kids, there there really are some kids that are just so remarkable and they do end up on the news. There's and I don't know their names. I'm sorry. There's the little girl from, you know, she got funded through the show Shark Tank to have her iced tea company funded and it's she puts sends the profits to help um restore the honeybee population because there's you know she read about the honeybees after being stung to not be afraid of them. Her parents made her learn about honeybees and uh and so she became really worried about the environment and the bees, so she you know created this you know used her great grandmother's recipe or something to make iced tea and and help fund and support the bees
1: oh that's cool and.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just like such cool kids out there. And, you know, and there's other kids that do things like there was uh, one girl who, um, she collected, she, her goal was to co- collect a thousand books where there were either main characters or significant characters that were, um, like kids who were not white. So she got, you know, all of these characters that were people of color. And she must have gotten So many books, and it was such a cool project. And then there's other kids who like help, you know, collect cans for food banks and stuff. And you know, it's just like this really cool thing because it's it's different. Like I've seen things where um, parents that have kids who are scouts, like they just come into their offices and sell their kids Girl Scout cookies. I'm like. How is that helping your kid? Like I mean right. isn't the kids supposed to be doing this as to as a learning situation? But it's not. It's like, oh, can you buy my kids wrapping paper? Can you buy my kids cookies? <laughs> so I don't know. So it's there's you know, there's just some kids that are just so unbelievably outgoing and remarkable and, and gifted. Um, I was not one of them. <laughs>
1: no, I, I I I was the same way. I was just you know, in my own little world. Um.
0: I mean, you have,
1: you even have like the one
0: kids, like we talked to um, a little bit about the frying pan and the baseball bat and stuff. You, they're, they're clever in the, in this sense. And maybe this is the video game culture because um, I grew up in a different time with Atari's, So we didn't really have things like first person shooters and picking weapons and stuff. But I learned this from City of Heroes, things like melee weapons and long-range weapons. I preferred range because I'm a chicken. <laughs> um, so I would be way in the back. <laughs> I'm like, I will heal you. That's my job. Um, but you have like this kid with a potato gun. And you even say like, damn, I only have four potatoes. What am I going to do? And it reminded me of Legolas in Lord of the Rings where actually in the books he talks about having to go and collect his arrows. Well, it's like, yeah, you're going to run out of ammo, kid. <laughs>
1: we we had uh, a running count because uh, the smart kid, the, well, the, the biggest brain of the group, Trey, had built himself a potato gun. And he he finds it when they go to the camp. I, I hope I'm not being too spoilery. But we at one point, we decided he would have four potatoes. He could shoot no more than four potatoes. And... <laughs> So we don't show him picking those up, but it's it's unspoken that in between scenes he's picking up those four potatoes. And so when I would do kind of the the fight scenes to Mark, I I try to leave that sort of thing open so that he can stage it however he wants to and kind of play to his strengths. Um, You know, it's like, okay, remember (laughs) going to the climax. Trey has four potatoes. Use them wisely, because at the end he's (laughs) going to be clubbing a guy with his potato cannon. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it, it, those kind of details are fun, but, um, it was hard to come up with ideas for what the kids would use. Like Claudia gets a baseball, has a baseball bat because she's the athlete and also because of, uh, uh, well, it's kind of an homage to, uh, uh, Michonne's samurai sword because she slings it on her back in the, in the, the comic. And then, we somehow decided for Becky to have a slingshot because the other gag we wanted to do is early on the boys are all using like tree limbs and the girls have real weapons. Uh, but it, when Chris was writing the ba- the backstories uh, or I mean the, the back matter for issue four, he thought it would be cool that uh, Becky has the slingshot. Uh, because her favorite character in the Hunger Games was Rue, who also used a slingshot. So I thought that was a that was a cool touch that, you know, Chris kind of grounded what what Mark and I had done.
0: I loved that. I remember reading that in the little like bio thing. It was great.
1: He's a smart guy.
0: So smart. And uh, yeah, those, those are little details that, you you know, you might not even know about because a slingshot does seem like Oh, sure. This is something that, you know, a girl who plays outside would know how to do. And, you know, so it didn't seem like any kind of um, odd choice. And then to have an explanation like, oh, well, it's because she read it in the Hunger Games. It's like, oh, my God. And she's smart, too. <laughs> <laughs> um So when you are scripting each issue, because we have have four total issues here for Ghoul Scouts thus far. It's obviously in the same universe as Dr. Goyle. Um, So what are the definitive things as a comic book writer that you need to specify appears in each issue? Like you have... Do you have a fight scene? Do you have to have an educational scene? Do you have to have something like what is what is your formula where you say, I absolutely need to hit these points in each issue?
1: Um, I don't I I'm so not <laughs> I, I'm I'm not uh, I bet you do it unconsciously. Yeah,
0: because like, er, er, I mean, you know, however many years in the business, I mean,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I, I know where I want them to start and where I want them to end. And uh, like each issue, yeah, I'll try to come up with a set piece, but I'll also try to come up with um, some things that will advance the narrative. So, I mean, the, I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm like totally instinctive or instinctual, but there there are a lot of uh, things where I just um, I, I think visually in the sense of I, I, I try to write scenes and spreads except for opening and closing scenes because uh, I write those in three, five or seven page sequences. Um, because you know, your book starts on an, on an odd page number. So it's, it's a right-hand page and then you go to a spread and then you go to a spread and, you know, and scene. Uh, so, I mean, I, I do think about those kinds of things. Um, but. Has that changed at all with the digital market? Um, no, because I, I think – I mean, if you can make every page turn um, have an element of a of a cliffhanger, that's great. Um, but, you know, so, so digitally, if you get that every page, it's great. But if it works in print, it's going to work in digital, the only exception being a two-page spread, and I've never – uh, I've never really written or drawn a two-page spread, so <laughs> I think I'm okay. Yeah, with I'm that.
0: glad. I'm glad that you don't because um, I'll tell you why. Reading those digitally is not fun.
1: Oh, I uh, can imagine.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really work if uh, depending on the format. Maybe in Comicsology, it's definitely better because it sort of has this auto zoom thing where it's they figure out um, which bubble to go to. But if you're just reading it through PDFs, it's completely broken up because you're reading a left page and then you're reading a right page. And if they're supposed to be read side to side, it doesn't work. Right. Um, So that's something that I, you know, I try to keep people to to bear in mind that it really does depend on the platform you're using. Um, But before I let you go, so one of the things that uh, there were two last things I had left to talk about. One is variant covers and the other thing is setting because you did bring up settings and scenes. So variant covers, I saw a lot of familiar names there. Mike Norton, Phil Hester, Sean Isaacs, Jamal Igle. These are just like a few of them. So when it came to making variant covers, was that something that, you know, you arranged or did Action Lab say, "Hey, you know, what would really help with is variant covers." Because I mean, I'm I'm astonished that people still love variant covers because they're I mean, they are fun, but I just look at the JPEGs. I mean, you well, know, I don't. Yeah. Like-
1: well, yeah, I I've never been a big variant guy, um, and I I, I detest the idea of variants that are um, like incentive laden, like buy 50 copies and you get this one. Because I I feel like that's um, that's exploitive. But, um, you know, in, in this instance, uh, when I, and I, I don't think I'm telling anything out of, out of, out of school here, um, Action Lab is, uh, just a really cool together publisher. They send a, uh, a handbook, um, on for for creators, you know, when when you get a book there, they send you a handbook that talks about how they want their files set up. They talk about the the benefits of um variant covers. I I shouldn't say benefits, but they talk about like the cost involved, you know, it costs x dollars to change out the plate at the printer and stuff like that. Um, you know, you can do it, but there's going to be that cost off the top. And um I've softened on variant covers because, like, TV Guide does them at this point. You know, Entertainment Weekly does them. So I I, I think it's a part of our culture. And if we can have fun with them uh, and, again, not make them incentive-laden, it it might at least get someone to test drive your book that otherwise wouldn't. So uh, Mark suggested a few few friends, and uh, we just kind of built a list from there. And we, we know such great people. Um, I'm, and that, that's not bragging. I'm just really touched with, by, by what everybody turned in because, you know, Mike's cover and Jamal's cover and Phil's cover and, you know, Brent Schoonover and Axer from, uh, or Oxer, I think it's pronounced from, uh,
0: uh, I know him from Twitter, but I don't know how his, to pronounce his name. He, well, yeah. Yeah.
1: He, he drew, um, Arrow Girl. And then, yeah, you know, um, Sean, whose name I I would butcher from Stray, did a beautiful cover. And then, you know, it was a chance for for Jason and I each to to add a cover to it. Also, um, did I mention Brent Schoonover? If I didn't, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. But, you know, all together with the with the regular covers, uh, I I really did kind of change my stance on variants because it is kind of a nice way to to get some different looks at at your characters and, you know, I, I, I don't want us to abuse it. I don't want to be one of those books that does like nine variants. Um, I think two per issue is the max. Um, I'm going to have one per, per issue with Athena Voltaire, except uh, the first issue will have two. So, you know, hopefully we're doing it in enough moderation to where it's not abusive. Okay.
0: And so then the very last thing that I have, because I know that you have a short amount of time, is I want to talk about the setting, because there's, um, you've created an entire city, Full Moon Hollow, and then you've got a significant location east side, what they call the Horror House, which is, you know, the big spooky mansion. So through all of entertainment history, fiction and nonfiction, I mean, just things that are Uh, you know, have stood the test of time, like the the Stanley Hotel in Colorado or Stephen King was inspired and allegedly saw a ghost or something. Then there's real places like, you know, Sleepy Hollow and Salem, Massachusetts and New Orleans. Um, And then, you know, you have like Sunnydale, you know, from uh, Buffy. Right. So. um, So what is the importance of the horror house mansion that you have? And do you have favorite spooky places?
1: That you actually like. Um, well, the horror house was, uh, you know, just a, a, writing the backstory for it was was a lot of fun, and it was really just kind of a, a, a way to get the kids to. Uh, well, of course it'll be the mad scientist's house, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so it, it's significant in that way, and it may or may not factor into uh, the follow-up series. Um, because I've, I've got the next two outlined. Uh, so the significance was every, house, every, every town needs that creepy, spooky old house on the other side of town. Um, but, yeah, I – In my neighborhood, that's my house. I, <laughs> I, I don't really have any, any favorites in, in real life, but I've said for years that I want to live in a, uh, a quirky TV town. Um, I mean, you get some of it in comics, too. Probably, my like, my favorite fictional city in comics is Opal City from Starman. That, you know, I just loved what they did with that. Um, but, I mean, you know, Twin Peaks or Stars Hollow from uh, Gilmore Film Girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sicily, Alaska from Northern Exposure. Pawnee from... Pawnee! Kirk, even yeah. from the version of Niagara Falls from Wonder Falls. All of those... You know, Sunnydale, all of that just kind of informs uh, the kind of vibe I wanted uh, Full Moon Hollow to have, uh, the paranormal capital of uh, of the world. Um, And, you know, just naming stuff when when that's your your mission statement, you know, paranormal capital of the world. It's easy to go, oh, well, it's in Hemlock County, of course, you know, and (laughs) some of that stuff
0: just kind of builds from there. Uh, so do you have – do you actually draw things out, like a map of where you think the town is or the floor plan of the house or something? Or does that just – is it vague enough that Mark can do what he wants?
1: It's pretty vague, although um, we almost included in uh, the back matter of issue three, we've got the Convention and Visitors Bureau uh, flyer pamphlet Um so you see some of the some of the sites of of Full moon Hollow. We almost put a map in there, but I just ran out of time, but Chris and Mark and I talked about it, so it'll probably have to to come into play sooner or later uh maybe in in Arc two or three okay, all right, I know that you're short on time. I'm so, so sorry
0: you will have to come back and talk about Athena Voltaire, though
1: yeah, um, I think it's gonna be solicited in uh maybe for like a September release. So yeah, if you want to talk in what, two months? Okay. September. Uh, It might be October though. No, I I think they're going to do the compendium in September and then uh, the new mini series in October. So whenever you want, you know where to find me. I do. (laughs) I do. I'm so glad I know where to find you. Oh, you'll Um, regret it. Everyone does eventually.
0: So, um, other than following Action Lab on Twitter and wherever, is there any other website where you want people to know to look for you and find you and figure out what Girl Scouts, Ghoul Scouts, let me say it correctly, is and how to order it? Because I know
1: that pre-orders are always an issue. Yes. Um, Yeah, you can look for me on Twitter. I am Steve Bryant Art, S-T-E-V-E-B-R-Y-A-N-T-A-R-T. And... Uh, my website is just uh, Steve Bryant Comics, all one word as well, uh, dot, okay. dot com. Okay. All right, Steve, thank you for your time thank tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry I've got to run.
0: Okay, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber and everything else is at com. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to sponsor the show. Thanks for listening.